Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. So today we're going to be reading Mark 3, 31 through 35, if you want to follow along on your phones or on your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen for you. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, Chloe. That was well done and uh, great job. And this morning, we are continuing our series on questions that Jesus asked. Jesus asks, we answer. And there's over 300 questions that he asked throughout his ministry. We're not gonna hit all 300, but we're gonna hit this one today. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And what a fitting time to hit this one because today we're all thinking about family. Uh, because we're all a part of a family, whether we like our family, whether we don't like our family, we're a good family, not so good family, we put the fun and dysfunctional family, right? Whatever our family dynamic is, we're all part of one. Through biology, adoption, foster homes, marriage, we're part of family. And thinking about family this week, uh, for this message and also for Mother's Day, I was thinking, what is it about family that we crave, Right? What do we crave about being a part of a family? Just shout it out. What do, we, what do you long for out of your own family? Uh, that, that, man, that, that's what being a part of family is all about. Being known. Being together, a sense of togetherness and knowing each other. What else? Connection. A sense of security. Belonging. Acceptance. Identity, right? We know who we are because of our family. A sense of value and self-worth because of the family that we're a part of, because we're a part of something, right? And if we can't get that from our biology, where else do we look for family? Street gangs, right? Now, as silly as that sounds, think about it. Maybe your family dynamic hasn't been that positive or wasn't that positive. Where are you going to look? Anywhere where you can find acceptance, belonging, identity, value, being known, right? So as silly as that response sounds, I actually had that one written down. So good job, Peter, for reading my notes from way over there, right? That would be an example of where we try to find that family dynamic. Where else do we try to find that family dynamic? School, right? Clicks, the lunch table, right? And our groupings of friends. Where else? Sports, right? Whether as a fan, you find that connection and that camaraderie and that familyhood, right? When you go to a sporting event, you're a part of something bigger. You find acceptance because you're cheering for the same team. Or if you play on a team and you are a participant in that or you coach, just being a part of youth sports now with my kids, I see a family dynamic at play, right? As you see parents and, and kids and, and we're all together in this. And like, for example, right now I'm coaching our son's uh, little league team, a bunch of seven, eight, Eight-year-olds sponsored by the church, right? It's pretty cool. On the back of their jerseys, it says Hub City Church. 
and our team is called, here we go, the Screaming Pickles. We are the Screaming Pickles, and we wear bright green jerseys and hats. We got a mom that made Screaming Pickles shirts for all the parents, and we show up. We are this green mob that comes, right? But there is what? A sense of belonging. We have this inflatable pickle that I bought. No joke. It hangs from the fence when we come to play. And at the end of the game, we have the MVP, the most valuable pickle. And they get free bubble gum, and they get to hold the giant inflatable pickle. And their parents take pictures of them, and you know, and, and yesterday was picture day with all the little, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but it, it feeds that sense of identity and, and camaraderie and family because what was interesting is I ran into some other coaches yesterday during picture day, and I said, watch out for those screaming pickles, we're a big deal. And yeah, you get it, you get it. I relish the time I get to tell that joke. But as I, come on. And, and when, I, when I said that to somebody, they said, oh no, we know the pickles. We're, we're like infamous now within this little league division of rookie little league. So much so as well, can, oh man, why am I just talking about this? So much so that April's boss, who oversees two to 300 churches in Foursquare, used to play for the Mariners as a huge baseball fan, found out our team name, the Screaming Pickles, and now he our supervisor, our pastor of two, 300 churches wants a Screaming Pickles shirt and we have pastors across the country praying for the Screaming Pickles to go undefeated this year. We are divinely supported. Look out, Burlington. But you know what we have? We have a sense of family. And you find that in your workplace, in your school, in your home. People are craving that. That's why people respond to it. People are excited about it. There are people you know that are longing for that sense of family in some place, in some facet of their life. And today we're gonna see Jesus established a family for everyone. Jesus established a family that is open to each and every person that you and I can think of right in this moment. They are welcomed into that family. They're invited into that family. And today we're gonna see what it means to be a part of that family. Because every family has its own dynamic. Sometimes its own rules, its own values. But we're gonna see what it means to be a part of Jesus' family, who is welcome to be a part of that family, and how do we get integrated into that family? What's it like to be a part of the family? Who's welcomed in? And how do we get integrated into the family? Because it's all about this family that Jesus is establishing. Jesus came to establish a family. And that is a good word. I don't care what your background is with your family. Jesus wants to shake up our idea to say family is not a bad word. Family's a good thing. And so at the beginning of this passage, we see a crowded scene. I want you to just picture this, a crowded scene outside of a house, inside of this house in, in, in this ancient time. Jesus is having some conversations with people. He's, uh, I don't know, doing miracles. He's teaching. He's just doing Jesus things in this house, right? And they're hanging out. It's just packed, shoulder to shoulder. Everybody's crammed in there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' family shows up. And they, they can't even get into the building, into the room. And so what do they do? They, they send a messenger in, like, can you squeeze through and just tell them, like, we're out here waiting for him. And it's not that, hey, Jesus, we haven't seen you in a long time. Let's go grab some lunch. It's a good day, right? How many of us, that's our family dynamic? Like, well, we haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? We text each other and things like that. No, it's not like that. There is a dynamic at play here that the passage that Chloe just read doesn't really convey. You have to rewind just a few verses behind and Mark's gonna give us some context. Mark 3, 21. Look at the dynamic of when his family shows up. 
It says, when his family heard what was happening in this crowded room, this crowded house, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. They tried to take him away. He's out of his mind. So they show up, send this messenger to say, hey, Jesus, come hang out with us. But really, why are they doing it? They think Jesus is nuts. He's gone crazy. He's been drinking too much Kool-Aid. They don't know what's going on, and they're saying, Jesus, you've taken this Messiah thing maybe to an extreme. I don't like this chaos. I don't like the commotion. I don't like what's transpiring. And you just picture his mother on the outside looking in saying, we got to get him out of this. This is unhealthy. This is unsafe. This is unstable. This is not good. And so it says that they tried to do what? Take him. Let's translate that into the ancient language. They tried to take him. That's what it means, to seize him, force him against his will, to take him out of the situation and the scenario, right? Like a mother would show up at a party of teenagers to take their child out of that situation where there might be some red Solo cups. You know what's in those cups, right? The mom would take their child out of there, or I take my kid out of Jungle Playland. Ah, we're taking you out by force against your will. We're leaving Chuck E. Cheese against your will. Well, Mary is showing up to take Jesus out of this situation against his will. Take him back to Nazareth. Nazareth. And I don't think they realize it in the moment, but their actions are actually in an attempt to detour Jesus off of his mission. Because Jesus came to save the world. And they came to take him out and go hang out in Nazareth where it's a little quieter, a little calmer, a little more under control. I don't think her intent is malicious, but it's actually detouring the will of the Father. And so Jesus asked this question, right? Picture this room, it's crowded. Jesus is teaching, doing all these things. And somebody says, hey, Jesus, your mom and your siblings are outside. And so Jesus replies, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And I read this question, and you might read it too, and think, that's not a big deal. Like, he's just asking, like, who's my mom? Who are my bros? On its face, it doesn't seem that shocking, but really, as you look at it and think about the ancient context in which he's saying this, this is shocking because family is integral. Some of you come from solid, healthy families. Family is very valuable to you. Some of you are like, I wouldn't mind shirking off my family and <laughs> ignoring them. Jesus is not coming from that place. He's got a good family. Family in that ancient time was valuable. It was important. You read about family in the Old Testament and what do we see? We see genealogies of people. We see people tied to their tribes and their family heritage, and that mattered to them. I am a part of the lineage of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of, you know, and they just go on and on and on and on, and they, they find identity in that. They find identity in being affiliated with this heritage. These are my people. This is my tribe. This is my family. It was valuable. It was, it was defining of their worth who they are. Family was also a source of economic support, stability. Family was meant to help each other in a way uh, economically. But it was also a form of social status. It was a way of, of being honored and respected. Oh, you're a part of that family. And they just thought of them differently. They, they treated them differently. Oh, you're a part of that family? Oh, you're special, right? They would treat you differently based on your family of heritage. And so we see family matters to people in that time. One, one, uh, one's family was associated with one's life. And so to be disassociated or cut off or to 
you know, push away your family, disown your family, reject your family, or be rejected by your family, it was like losing your livelihood, losing your identity, losing your honor, losing your status, losing who you were. So Jesus' question, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? That's a shockwave in that moment. People are like, what? This is not a phrase or a question that you're going to see in a lot of Hallmark cards today. Who's my mom, right? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, right? That's probably why scholars, as I was studying this passage, a lot of scholars were like, this is not a good passage for Mother's Day weekend. I'm like, great, this is, this is awesome. Because Jesus is sitting in this crowded room saying, who's my mom? Who are my bros? But it continues to shake up the concept of family because family is more than biology. Look at what he says as he's sitting in this crowded, crowded room packed with all kinds of people from different backgrounds. In verse 34, it says, he looked around at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Picture him making eye contact with the people sitting in the room with him. Different backgrounds, different histories, different races, different economic status, people that maybe had been disowned from their family, people that had been going through hardship, people that felt alone and rejected, people that were rich, people that were poor, people that were all kinds of different uh, variations. And he's looking around at them and saying, this is my family. These are my mothers and my brothers. Think of the value he's ascribing to them. He's attributing all those characteristics of family to those people in that room. He's not meaning to shame or cut off from, from Mary and his brothers. But what he's doing is he's bringing a sense of identity and belonging and acceptance and honor and value and identity to the very people he's sitting around in that room. Think about what it does to them. This guy that they value. This person that they, they seem to feel very important. Enough to pack this room out to be with them. And he looks at them in the eye and says, you matter to me as much as my family would. Because he's trying to convey this idea that the family of God can bring even stronger bonds than the biological family that we come from. And whether you have a, a solid family foundation or a shaky and broken, fractured family foundation, the family of God can be stronger I think about my own story growing up in church. I've been a part of four different churches since I was seven years old, and I can think of the names and faces of people at those different churches, in Des Moines, and Bothell, and North Seattle, and here in Burlington, and people that God has put in my life to be my family. Father figures, mother figures, grandparent figures, aunts and uncle figures, siblings. God has put a family in my life at different seasons. In each of those churches, they were a representation of God's family transcending the biological bonds because God has surrounded me with family. And I think that that's just emblematic of what Jesus is getting at in that moment. The family he came to establish is so much bigger and stronger than we could ever imagine. He's redefining family. And so it begs the question, well, who can become a part of God's family? Who's welcomed into that family? What kind of picture of the prototype person can be welcomed into the family of God? Must be this tall to be a part of God's family? You know, kind of like a carnival ride? Like, must fit these attributes? 
And so Jesus says this, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I don't want to focus just purely on that part at the beginning right now. Anyone is my brother and sister and mother. I'm going to fill in the, the little part we're, we're pausing on about doing God's will. I want to talk about that too, but that first word matters a lot. Anyone. So who does that include? Who does that include? If Jesus says, anyone will be my brother and sister and mother, who does that include? It's not a trick question. Everyone, right? No matter your gender, your race, your socioeconomic status, your education level, your occupation, no matter what your past looks like, Jesus looks around that room and says, anyone is my family. Anyone can be a part of this. And what we see is an inclusivity rather than a superiority or rejection or my family is gonna be super special and you are not welcome into this. No, what does he say? Man, you are welcome into this. You are included into this. I love you this much to adopt you into my family. You are a part of this. First John chapter three, verse one says, see how much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. So some of us have a bad connotation or, or a, a reaction to the word family. John is conveying that God is building a family and a family is a good thing. He loves us dearly like a good, good father and says, I love you. Welcome into my family. Welcome into what I'm doing, what I'm building, what I'm establishing. That he loves us so much and some of us just need to be reminded of that on the regular. We are loved and invited in to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And the choice is ours. How do you respond to that love? How do we respond to that love? Because the, the, the other part of that verse, anyone, what's the rest? Who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Anyone who does God's will, well, what does that mean? Because that is a churchy phrase, if I've ever heard one. Someone who does God's will, what does that imply? What does that mean? It's somebody who wants to do what God wants, wants to follow God's direction and plan, and wants his agenda over our own agenda, wants God's purposes over their own purposes. That is a person of God's family. We're united, we're moving forward, we're committed to making Jesus the head of the family. I mean, think about the moment that Jesus is in when he says this, and he says, anyone who does the will of God is a part of my family. What's he doing? He's addressing the fact that there are people outside of his own biology that say, I don't want God's will. I want Mary's will. I want my will. I want my purposes, my agenda, my plans, not God's. Come, come, come home, Jesus. And in that, he's contrasting it with the very people in the room who are, what, circled up around Jesus, putting Jesus at the center of their life, saying, Jesus, you're the leader. We follow you. Where you go, we go. What you say, we do. You're in charge. You're the head of this. And he's saying, that's what it means to be a part of my family. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of God's family? It means that we say, Jesus, you're in charge of this family. Not my pastor, not a person, not myself, right? All of us, we think we're sometimes in charge. Nope. Being a part of Jesus' family means I put Jesus in charge of what's happening. He's leading the way. And some of us hear that and we don't like it because it feels restrictive. It, it's anti-autonomy. It's anti-freedom. It's anti-free will. 
God has a plan and I got to follow this tiptoe, you know, I got to tightrope walk this thing. And, and, and so I want to talk about that idea of following God's will because it's not meant to be restrictive. It's actually meant to be very good for us. Romans 12, 2 says this about God's will. Let's catch this. As we talk about God's will for a moment, Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what Paul is saying to the Roman church there is that we all should strive for God's will, just as Jesus says, if you're part of my family, you're gonna do what God wants you to do. You're gonna follow God's will, right? And that will is not meant to be restrictive. It's not meant to be holding you captive because he says God's will is good, pleasing, perfect. Not that you are perfect, that we're following a direction that is pure and good, pleasing to the Lord. That's not a bad thing to do what God wants us to do. And, and yet some of us, we, we wrestle with this idea. We're trying to figure out, well, what is God's will for our life? What am I supposed to do with my life? And we hear that phrase, God's will, and okay, if I'm a part of God's family, then I'm supposed to do God's will. Well, what is God's will? How many of you have wrestled with that question before? I hope I'm not the only one, right? Is this God's will for my life? Should I date this person? Should I not date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Should I move to this place? Should I not move to this place, right? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I move to this place? Should I do this thing? Should I take this promotion? Should I take this invitation? Should I say yes to this opportunity? How many of you have wrestled with these decisions in life and you're wondering, is this God's will or is this my will? And we struggle with that. Is it God? Is it not? I don't know. We kind of picture it almost like those old school game shows with like the multiple doors. So you've got three doors. And God's will is behind door number one, two, or three. Which door is God's will? Anybody? You ever feel that way? And if I pick the wrong door, I'm going to go to hell. Or if I pick the wrong door, God's not going to love me anymore because Jesus says i got to choose God's will. And if I choose the wrong door and I choose the wrong job or I choose the wrong house or I choose the wrong spouse, ah, I'm going to get kicked out of God's family. God's not going to love me anymore. I'm going to go to hell. And we choose these things, right, in this way. And we weigh with such pressure on ourselves to do the right thing. And I want to just talk about that for a little bit. And why do I want to take a moment to talk about choosing God's will and doing God's will? Is because this is what it means to be a part of God's family. Is that the choices we make matter because it shows who's in charge of our life. Who's the head of our family. And so if you're weighing with a big decision right now, and you might be, you might be in a, you know, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do about that? Think about that question that you're wrestling with. Think about that decision you're faced with. I'm not talking about like, do I wear flip-flops or tennis shoes today, right? Like, I don't think God's will really matters about flip-flops and sandals or do I wear shorts or pants? Like, okay, um, let's not over-spiritualize getting dressed in the morning, right? But we're talking about decisions in life where we wrestle like, is this right or is this wrong for me? Do I go to this school or go to that school? Do I choose this or that? And there's, there's three things that I want to kind of highlight or focus on when looking at Scripture about God's will that I want to just bring up as kind of a, a filtering process for us or questions to ponder and think about as you're wrestling with a question of decision. First one is, is that decision, is that choice going to be sinful for you? Is it sinful? 
is it against the will of God? The, is it against, what does that mean? Is it in, contra, in contradiction to the teaching and character and nature of Jesus? Is it sinful? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Now Paul is highlighting to the early church one area where they are indulging and living too much in the freedom of life and making decisions and they're allowing anything to, to go under the sun. But holiness is not confined to our sexuality. That is just one component or facet of it. I think that first part really highlights this idea. God's will for you is to be holy in all areas of your life, not just your sexuality. Is it sinful for you to take that job? Is it sinful for you to move to that place? Is there something in contradiction to the character and nature and teaching and, and life of Jesus? Because I don't think God's gonna tell you to do something that contradicts the word of God. God's not gonna tell you to do something that's going to hurt people, like intentionally hurt someone. And if somebody is telling you to do that, this is God's will for you, and you're gonna hurt somebody, wow, man, I have a hard time, hard time with that one. Because it would be in contradiction to the word and character and nature of God. Is it sinful? Secondly, is it selfish? Is that decision and that choice, is it purely to motivate and, and be driven by yourself? Who benefits from that decision? Myself or God? Myself or other people? First Peter 4.2 says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Peter is, is teaching the early church what it means to be a part of God's family and saying that God's will matters more than your will. And a lot of times our will is tied to ourselves. If I do this, it's gonna pad my bank account. If I do this, it's gonna feed my pride and my identity. If I do this, it's gonna build my reputation. If I do this, it's gonna be a stepping stone to help me get to where I wanna go and build my kingdom. See, I read Mary's work right there, or I read the moment with Mary outside the house, and if I was sitting there with Mary, I'd say, Mary, is this, is this kind of selfish? Is this sinful, or is it selfish? It may not be both, it may just be one. But am I living my life and making these decisions to elevate myself or elevate and give more glory and honor to Jesus? Is it sinful? Is it selfish? And the last one, is it stupid? Is it stupid? And I know that sounds silly to ask, but is the decision just flat out foolish and stupid? Right? Is it lack common sense? Ephesians 5.17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be stupid. I don't think God wants you to buy a house you can't afford and you're gonna just be swimming in debt. And then on top of that, you're like, oh, but God wants me to also buy this truck and this boat and this vacation home. And you're just acting thoughtless. You're being stupid, right? Oh, God wants me to go and evangelize right in the middle of the boulevard. Like literally in the middle of the boulevard to get everybody's attention. No, you're just stupid, right? You don't do that. You're gonna get hit by a truck. Right? That would be stupid. Well, it's going to get everybody's attention. No, you're just being dumb. That's stupid. I don't think God wants us to be foolish. God is a God of wisdom and knowledge and insight, and there's something valuable about saying, God, 
is this thoughtless? Have I thought through this? You know, if my kid was 17 and said, Dad, we're gonna get married, I'd be like, hold the phone. Let's say, is this sinful? Is it selfish? Or is it just plain stupid? And as we talk about it, pray about it, think about it, seek God's words and look at scripture about it, we would weigh, is it selfish, stupid, or sinful? It might be all three. It might be none. It's not my voice and not my will that we're trying to pursue. If I was planning to buy a house, if I was planning to take a job, if I was planning to do this or that or whatever, right? Those are things that I would be weighing. Those are things that I would be praying about. And what you would do, or what I would encourage you to do, is if you're weighing on a big decision right now, those are the things that you bring into that quiet time with Jesus. Those are the things to pray about and read scripture on. Get into a quiet space with Jesus and say, Jesus, is it good? Is it pleasing? Is it perfect? Or is it selfish, sinful, stupid? Because we want to be people who are pursuing the will of God. And some of us feel like we're trying to pick the right door. Some of us feel like we're trying to hit a target that's moving in the dark. Good night. That would feel really tricky, right? How many of you sometimes feel like God's will is a moving target in the dark? And you're like, I don't know where it's supposed to go. Oh, I missed. Oh. And then we condemn ourselves with shame and and guilt, or we're walking this tightrope. I'm giving you lots of illustrations of how it can feel to follow God and try to discern his will for our lives. And, and I want to just say these last two things with this. It's in that pursuit of God that I think what we begin to recognize is that God knows our heart. God knows if you're trying to conceal selfishness with Christian lingo. If it's really about your pride, I believe the Holy Spirit will acknowledge that and bring that to the surface if you can be honest with him and with yourself. It's in that quiet time that we begin to see, no, this is sinful and I'm just trying to justify that I want to sin. No, this is stupid and I shouldn't do this. God knows your heart. And God can read through all the facades that you put up to me or to your spouse or to your friends. Allow God the opportunity to speak to your heart and reveal the true nature of your heart. And sometimes we just got to get quiet enough for him to speak. We've got to remove the facades and know that God knows your heart. And I also believe that in that, God doesn't just know your heart, but God is a gracious God. Who believes that? God has mercy when we make mistakes. And so there might be moments where you made a decision and in hindsight you look back and say, I thought it was God, but I misheard and I was off. And I believe God is gracious and loving and says, you failed, but I picked you up. Let's keep going. I tell the screaming pickles. I talked about the screaming pickles. I tell those little kids playing baseball. I said, baseball's a game of failure. You can make mistakes because we're gonna encourage you and build you up, and we're gonna keep playing. It's safe to make mistakes when you're a part of the Screaming Pickles. And guess what? I believe your Heavenly Father would look at you and say, it's okay to make mistakes, and if you miss here, or you feel like you chose the wrong door, or fell off the tightrope, God's there to pick you up. Because your Heavenly Father, 
cares that you are desiring and doing his will. That's what it means to be a part of his family. Anyone who would desire and do the will of God. So when you recognize what you're supposed to do, go do it. We're going to talk more about obedience next week. But it's desiring and, 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 and following through and saying, okay, then I'm going to try it. I'm going to take that step of faith. I'm going to do this. That's what it means to be a part of God's family. Because it's in that obedience. It's in that following through. It's in that taking that step. That's what it means to say, Jesus, you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of this family. I'm a part of something bigger than just myself, and I will surrender to that. And I believe everyone in that room heard that idea and said, yep, that's what it means. People want his will over their own will. The last question, I want to end with this idea, or this question, how do we become a part of God's family? We've talked about what it means to be a part of his family and who's accepted into that family or who's invited into that family. But how do we become a part of God's family? Because that can feel awkward to people. It could be like joining into a new family, right? Kind of have a my big fat Greek wedding type of awkwardness to it or meet the parents. How many of you have seen this movie, right? Where it's just, it's an hour and a half of just awkwardness about this young man trying to be integrated into this family. What do I gotta do? How do I fit in? Where's my place? How do I impress them? Right? And I think that some people, when they come to church and they hear about Jesus and things like that, it can kind of feel like that movie. How do I fit into this church thing? How do I fit into this Jesus thing? Who do I need to impress? What do I need to do? Who do I need to know? This is awkward. How do we become a part of God's family? And Jesus takes all of those insecurities, all those questions, all those fears, all of that, and says, you want to be a part of my family? This is how you be a part of my family. He throws all that out the window, and he says this, uh, John records this in John 1:12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. All who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So he loved you, invited you in, and you believed. It's by faith, not by doing. By faith, by believing Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus gives you a fresh start, believing that he is real and he is worth following with your life. That's why I believe God is gracious. If I misstep, if I choose the wrong door, because I'm saved not by doing and being perfect, but by faith in the one who is and whose will is perfect. That faith sparks the life of following him. That faith sparks the obedience. That faith sparks the desire to do God's will. And that faith brings us into his family. So I believe today is an opportunity for us, for some to just discover that, wow, there's a family bigger than what I've been a part of, that I'm loved and I'm invited into that family. And then I think for a lot of us, we just need to be reminded of the family we're really a part of. It's a good family. It's quirky because we're human, but we're a part of something bigger. We're a part of a family that can continue to grow and a family that is meant to be including others because people are desperately searching for what you've discovered. People are on the outside looking in and saying, I want something bigger than myself. I want to feel loved and accepted and valued and known and find my identity, they're searching for that, and they're looking to sports and work and school cliques, and they're looking at all of these things to try to find that sense of belonging, and Jesus says, this is my family. 
These are my mothers. These are my fathers. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my aunts. This is my family. And can we as a church be an extension of that, a welcoming arm and hand to that to say, come on in. Jesus welcomes you into his family. Let's pray, church. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.